0: Hello and welcome to this very special Stages podcast mini-series. I'm your host, Peter Ayers. It's World Pride 2023 and the Queer Globe is converging on Sydney, Australia to celebrate diversity, inclusion, community and fabulousness. To mark this momentous event, the Stages podcast is saluting the cast of captivating drag divas and personalities who have been featured on the podcast during the past five seasons. They are artists who have appeared on national and global stages, thrilling audiences, making a difference, healing community and expressing unique and wondrous talents. We spotlight these episodes so you can savour a second listen or so you can sample the delights of these entertainers for the very first time. A diva a day for each day of World Pride. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages. The I started dressing up in drag at home at Christmas parties and, and birthday parties. Everything around me,
1: I was like a sponge and I still am. Incredibly observant, cr- incredibly visual. Well, always, because like I said, I danced um, you know, from the age of five until I left France to go to the To the army.
0: Take a a script and you sort of reinterpret it. You have to be so (gasps) careful. And then we decided on Mitzi. It was going to be Mitzi Maguire or Mitzi Mayhem.
1: I used to choreograph the drag shows for the drag queens. So I got to know them. Lo and behold, the next morning when
0: I wake up, here's my face on the Daily News. (laughs) And to this day, people go, oh, Bob Down. Oh. And there were these dance steps called... Shoe the ducks and dry your nails. And I sat there for weeks learning how to do my face. Get me on a microphone, half pissed, and just like in a room full of people that are halfway there themselves. And then I remember when I was five, I wanted to go to this party as a fairy? I have to be able to put as much of my soul into it. As possible. Lee Gordon named me Carlotte. Lee Gordon was a big promoter who actually started the drag queen shows off in Australia. I'll do it all again in a heartbeat, but I'll do it a little bit different next time. I think I'd be, I would be more prepared than I was. I mean, I was just someone from the suburbs that went to King's Cross. Claire Deloon is the alter ego of restaurateur and chef Mark Kuzma. Claire has been a mainstay in Sydney's gay life for several decades, while Mark has been a celebrated mainstay of our food scene. Claire Deloon gained fast notoriety after her 17 cooking segments on Channel 9's The Midday Show with Kerry Ann. She then did her drag apprenticeship by working in most of Sydney's gay and lesbian venues. Claire's career was celebrated in 2000 by winning three Divas, the Drag Industry Variety Award, including Entertainer of the Year, and an award for her charity work, particularly for the AIDS Trust of Australia, an award she also won in 2001. Marc Kuzma now delights patrons at a very special venue that combines exquisite French culinary indulgence and stellar cabaret performance. At Claire's Kitchen at Le Salon, located on iconic Oxford Street. The restaurant is a favourite destination for diners and connoisseurs of classic cabaret performance. A weekly lineup of artists complements the magic of Mark and his staff who deliver a superb experience merging Mark's three great personas: performance, food, and fabulousness. Claire's Kitchen at Les Salon will be delivering a sensational and diverse lineup of talent during February 2023 to coincide with the celebration of World Pride in Sydney. Check out the cabaret season at www.claireskitchen.com.au. This conversation took place in December 2022.
1: disturbance we do get deliveries and stuff like that
0: but But no traffic noise whatsoever which is great with a curtain yeah it's quite good yeah Um, and um, it's lovely to be in your beautiful camera room it's great. The last time you were here with Geraldine. Geraldine Turner, yeah. yeah right here on that stage. A magnificent show. Yeah. yeah. Oh, with the, at the launch of her book, of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how long have you had the cabaret room running? Well, I was actually just looking online because I've forgotten.
1: We did our first one in 2013, in December, on the 8th of December. And then we took a little break because it was just a one off. But we started fully uh, in 2017 and by doing two a week and then three a week and then now nearly four a week
0: that's magnificent it's, it is a great room i mean i feel like i'm in new york I'm oh here. thank
1: you <laughs> yeah people say new york berlin that sort of like an <laughs> <Yeah. a> underground <laughs> cabaret room it's
0: beautifully intimate you have access to the performer and they have access to everybody in the mm-hmm. room so um, you know, we've seen cabaret rooms come and go in Sydney, so it's it's wonderful that, that you're almost celebrating 10 years. Yes, I know, we're
1: celebrating, this is great, yeah. And it's amazing because, you know, we have you know some young, up-and-coming talent, but we also have some very big names that um, perform for 50 people in our room, and they love it. They love the intimacy, they love the rapport, and a lot of them are actually now uh, trying new shows here, and then going to perform them at all the festivals around Australia
0: and England, you know, Edinburgh, everywhere. Yeah. So it's really quite exciting. Yes, as you say, it allows for an intimacy. So performers love that, that yes, they can re- recalibrate their performance to, mm. to fit the size of the room. Mm. And, and this is, is very cozy. It's wonderful. And of course, complemented by a magnificent meal.
1: Well, that's always been important because ultimately we are a restaurant. And the cabaret was just something that I did for myself, really. <laughs> being stuck in the kitchen and stuck in the restaurant seven days a week, i never get to go and see any performers. So basically I selfishly started a cabaret, so they came to me <laughs> and I could see <laughs> two or three performances a week. <laughs>
0: you wouldn't have to leave work. Exactly, yeah. But of course, being French, uh, cabaret, was that part of um, your your family's? It's it always been part experience. of my life. Performing
1: yeah. has always been part of my life. Um, you know my mother was uh, an actress and my father uh, is, was ukrainian my father passed away a few years ago uh, was ukrainian and from very young uh we performed into in his um in his, not kabari, sorry in his dance group he had a dance group ukrainian dance group and i remember dancing there, from fi- from five years old, it was like four generation from uh, us to our grandparents being part of that group, and we toured, you know, Europe during summer, doing shows everywhere. So, show business has always been in my blood, really. And um, did you have access
0: to a lot of rehearsal rooms with your mother? And
1: yes, um, I actually um, performed with mum uh, when I was fifteen on stage. I needed a young person, so I did. Uh, I did my first. Say at your production at uh, at that age, yes. Wow!
0: And you're born in Paris?
1: No, oh, I born no. in Champagne
0: in Troyes. Yeah. Well, if you're going to be born anywhere in uh, in France, I, know, I think Champagne I is um, is the place to be. It is. It <laughs> is. It's an
1: amazing story about that actually. Um, People always say, you know, why do you love champagne so much? And I always explain to them that at, the t- at that time, it was in the 50s, um, the tradition was for the father to bring a glass of champagne to the mom as soon as uh, she gave birth and dip the finger in the champagne and put it on your, on the baby's tongue, <laughs> which <laughs> will be co- <laughs> cancelled right now. <laughs> but <laughs> at the time, that was the tradition. So basically, the first thing I ever tasted was
0: champagne. Uh. How classy! How classy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, growing up, did you have aspirations to be a performer? Um, well, always
1: because, like I said, I danced, um, you know, from the age of five until I left France to go to the to the army. So, um, I, you know, we performed all the time. So, the word of rehearsals, two or three times a week, and then shows at the weekend uh, was always in my life. And going to see Mum perform on stage. And uh, so I always had it in me, but I stopped for a while, you know, and concentrated on the uh, restaurant. I was, uh, um, I also was in the army, as I said, for three years.
0: Was that national service? It, it was, was national
1: three? service, but because I wanted to start a career, I went a little earlier. I went when I was 16 and a half. I joined in, and that took three years. And that gave me the opportunity to travel in the army, and this is where i um, it's linked to Australia because I was moved to New Caledonia right. and I did most of my service in New Caledonia which at the time was a Bali of Australia so people were, went to holiday in New Caledonia and I met a lot of Australians and on my way back home I stopped and never left did
0: you have an opportunity in national service to to learn a skill? Is it um, yeah,
1: skill? it was uh, radio and transmission, right? Yeah, so not really useful for my <laughs> in
0: t- my I, life. But I've seen you operate the sound. How do I, I do that? Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but Moscow, I never had to use it. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, where did the um, the ability to to uh, create food and, and be a, a chef
1: I, I, I did my apprenticeship as uh, as uh, um, I did a in France before I. I, I Moved into the army, so um, food was always in my life. Even so, I didn't train as a chef. When you do a culinary in France, you actually learned cooking. So, and I only started cooking when I arrived in Australia because I couldn't speak English. I tried to get a job. I, my first job was actually at the Little Snail in Bondi, oh, yes. nineteen seventy nine. We can all do the math, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I couldn't speak English, so they, s- they moved me to the kitchen. And this is because the chef was French, and uh, this is where I started cooking. And then a, f- a year or so later, um, we met a wonderful woman called uh, Sophie Mazier. She had a restaurant in the Blue Mountain called the, Lit- the Fork and View. Yes, you, on- you heard well, The Fork view, But say it fast and you will get <laughs> the, the joke. And she was quite an institution, actually. She was the first female chef in Australia. The ABC did a show about her life. She was quite colorful. And, and she was a best friend of uh, a friend at the time. So I moved to help her because she, was, um, she needed someone. And she was absolutely adorable, but as a good French chef, she started drinking red wine at 9 o'clock in the morning during the prep, which means that by lunchtime, uh, she was often not able to do the service, which was great for me because I took over and had to learn very quickly how to serve 50, 60 people in the dining room. And basically, I served with her for a couple of years, and this is where I really learned. My trade, yeah.
0: Because operating a, a dining room uh, and this cabaret room, I've watched you, and it's all precision. You know, you've got certain. That's probably my army background. Yeah, <laughs> but but it must be like that, mustn't it? It is. Yeah. It
1: is. It is. It, it's 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 uh, it's a fine. It's a it's like a ballet. You know what I mean? It just has to happen, and the customer needs not to be aware that it's happening, and uh, yeah. And Quite, quite good at uh, timing and, and being strict with the staff.
0: <laughs> while, also, while always also um, oozing immense charm, I must say. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, do you know the um, the history of French cuisine in Australia?
1: When well, the, I, think, I think that Sophie Mathieu will have been probably one of the first um, chefs, pardon me, chef in the sef- 60s, 70s, she started a restaurant, yeah. Mm. Wow. So she would have been a pioneer, and her food was very traditional. But she was so well loved, absolutely adorable woman. She passed away a few years ago, and we kept in touch.
0: Yeah, all those years. Um, You kept us well fed and happy, also during the uh, the COVID lockdowns. Mm. Uh, I guess you had to really rethink and outside the square. I think
1: you needed to reinvent yourself. There was no other way. Yeah, you know, like unfortunately a lot of restaurants closed because they didn't know how to re- reinvent you know we uh, we took the time to um the first few weeks when we were not allowed to do anything to repaint the whole restaurant clean the whole restaurant do all those things and then we decided to do take away yeah and uh, it went crazy because we have such a wonderful clientele like they're all so supportive that we were only doing it two nights a week, Friday, Saturday. But on Saturday night, we were doing 120 three course meals takeaway. So basically, it just kept us going, really. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Re- reinvention, yes.
1: That's it, reinvention. And then when we reopened after the first lockdown, this is when we decided to really push the cabaret. And we were having four or five cabarets a week. Yeah. And amazingly enough, between the first COVID and the second COVID lockdown, we gave work to 221 singers, 221 pianists, which was quite extraordinary. We gave them work so they got paid and they saved my
0: business, basically. It was a tough time for the arts as well. It was at the time and that's why they were
1: all happy and we had some amazing names
0: here, amazing names. Now, New Caledonia to Australia, mm-hmm. I guess you were meeting uh, Australian people and making friends? And, That's right, And yeah. that was the pull to Australia? And they
1: said, you know, come and visit on your way home, which I did. And it's a weird thing, really weird, but, you know, some people tell you those, that sort of story, and I la- always laugh, but I basically put a foot on the tarmac, because at the time you actually get, <laughs> you, <laughs> there was no, no, uh, no tunnel, you went straight into the tarmac. And I knew without even knowing anything about Australia and without speaking English, that I was going to spend the rest of my life in that country.
0: What was it? The, the, I the, don't know. The light of the sky? Or it's the just a feeling that I had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was quite extraordinary. Mm. Yeah, and I did, and I never left. Mm. So, and, the, and then you have to go about searching for work, I suppose.
1: But, uh, those people, I arrived, I, I arrive think, on a Friday. I started working on a Monday, and so work has never been a problem for me. And never been a day day out of work in my whole life if i cannot find a job i create a
0: job wonderful now tell me uh would you rather be um uh, preparing a magnificent feast for a, a, a cabaret room full of people or performing in the 3 a.m. show at Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can do both. You know? you can do both I the finish cooking well. at 12. I can <laughs> jump into a phone. I've done it. Yeah. I've done it. Well, yeah. of course, I'm
0: alluding to uh, your alter ego of Claire de Lune.
1: Claire de Lune. Yes, yes. Claire. Uh, why I created Claire? Because I, as I told you earlier, I was always I a frustrated actor and wanted to to act, and unfortunately I did quite a bit of voiceover when I first arrived with a French accent, but the parts for someone with such a strong accent are very few in Australia. So basically I created Claire with the accent and even exaggerated the accent actually when I'm performing as Claire because I couldn't get work as
0: an actor, so I created my own work. Uh, Growing up in in, um, Champagne, had you seen many drag performers?
1: Never okay. until I came to Australia, I've never actually seen drag. Right. Yeah. Right. And you thought I'm going to have I'm going to have a go at that. Oh, going to have a go at that. Yeah. So
0: where was Claire born? Where was your first performance?
1: First performance was in 1986 for New Year's Eve. I was a lucky fairy of 1985. <laughs> <laughs> There is photo evidence, but I'm not going to share them with anyone. The makeup was even rougher than it is now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Does Claire have a particular persona or are you very much the same person?
1: I think we're similar, but obviously um, uh, very French. You know, like that was uh, when I'm, even when I was performing, you know, regularly in clubs and everything, I often mimed or sang French songs. And of course, later... In my career, the food element was very important because this was when I started doing the midday show with Anne and as a chef in drag, one of the first drags in television really yeah
0: yeah yeah, so that was that a, a weekly appearance
1: it at was Carrie-Anne? um it was uh twice a month, so I did uh, uh i think twenty eight episodes. yeah.
0: I was working in, because they would record a film, broadcast live.
1: It is, yeah, and it's a very short segment. Like it was, um, I think, if, if I remember well, four and a half minute segment. So a lot of preparation, really, where you um, you have to have quite a bit of rehearsals. Uh, I've been watching Julia on television. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Oh, isn't that wonderful? I'm so totally in love. And she was, you know, it, 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 I saw a lot of my experience in it because... Um, you know it's all about preparation like you rehearse at home the timing so it makes you know it makes sense you have time in four and a half minutes to do uh, to do a full dish especially with Carrie Anne. she loves to talk mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, a, that's a good thing isn't it which is okay. a good thing we, we went on we went on very well together and so that was a good apprenticeship for television, really. Right. Yeah.
0: So uh, preparing meals is, is creative. Uh, the drag performance is creative. Do you have any other creative outlets? Do you paint? Do you garden? No,
1: no, right. no, no, I don't actually. I'm, you know, I love decorating. I love creating. So I'm always changing the decor at the restaurant. I'm always, you know, it's Christmas at the moment. So the restaurant is decked up from top to bottom in Christmas decorations. So, I design clothes, so uh, I've got a fashion line coming up next year. How will we access that? Uh, That will be online, of course, because (laughs) on Claire's website, yeah. (laughs) So I'm always creating something I need to create all the time, yeah.
0: We are getting lots of national exposure with The Ann Show, Um, and then in 2000 you win three Diva Awards.
1: I did, that's, yes. That's the because, drag industry
0: variety awards. Mm, yeah. You know, being on television, I was then
1: asked to do a lot more work in the drag, com, you know, in the drag bars and community. And, and I worked a lot at that time. And I worked a lot with Verushka Darling, who is my dearest friend. And we created some very crazy shows at uh, Annie's Bar, at the Albury, at Stonewall. So we worked everywhere, really.
0: It's, it's great to have that um, co-star, isn't it? For oh, the, fabulous. The, for the
1: rapport. Just to, to Va- uh, yeah, and we are so different, you know what I mean? Verushka is very intellectual and I'm very boom-boom jokes. And uh, working together was fantastic because, you know, we met in the middle and creating some really crazy shows, yeah.
0: What were some of the numbers you, you would perform? Uh, we, we
1: were actually cre- creating little mini-shows, 20-minute uh, show, very much like pantomime show. Um, you know, whatever happened to chocho uh, Cho San sand and Mom- mummy dearest and really crazy. We used a lot of uh, um, uh, dialogue from movies and ideas from movies, but then put them together in very crazy ways and uh, uh, use pop song at the moment. So it was a mashup of uh, dialogues and song. It was quite. They were quite quite spectacular.
0: Yeah. And how did you decide on the name of Claire de Lune?
1: Claire de Lune actually I didn't someone gave me that name. Right. A very fr- a very good friend and ex-boss I was with with Tony and work worked with Tony and Veronique uh, Durenson at Vams Bistro for 9 years and uh, Tony is a pianist. And Claire de Lune is obviously a very famous piano piece from Debussy and I don't know how he gave it to me, but it just happened. It's just said, Claire, oh, Claire de Lune, and I loved it. So yeah. it, that was my name. It
0: fitted, it felt right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Were you still working in kitchens and, and dining rooms when you were doing the drag? Uh, doing the
1: drag? I t- for 10 years, during 98, um, to, um, for 10 years, I stopped cooking and concentrated on my drag career and performing career. Yes. So that was interesting.
0: How how do you think um Oxford Street here in Sydney which was known as the the Golden Gay Mile how has it changed in that time do you? Think?
1: Uh it always changes you know I yeah. mean with, like with I generations. Said, I arrived in 1979 so you can imagine the changes that happened between na- then and now. And once again you know you just need to adapt. Um there were a lot more places where uh, where drag p- could perform that's for sure. You know the Alberry was one of the places that we miss now, Anisbad and I, there was a lot more. But um, there is still drag and there is still work. And of course also drag has gone a lot more mainstream now um, because of RuPaul's Drag Race. But even before that, you know, because of Verushka and I going on television, quite a few people followed and, uh, and so there is other way and gone more corporate too. Uh, lots of drag queens are doing a lot of corporate work. They are great speakers, so they, MC. They are very entertaining. So you know, things changes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, you were very much a pioneer, I guess, with with drag on television and. It must be uh, satisfying to see someone like Courtney Act now oh, on, on panel shows oh. and, and commentating. And, and She's hosting. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely everywhere. It's fabulous.
1: Yeah. Like, we were talking actually with Verushka not a long time ago saying we may have been a tiny little bit too early. Yeah, you know what I mean? A it's little, all in the little timing, bit isn't too it? early for, for Australia and for the world to be on television because I actually, when I finished at the Midday Show, I pitched... um a cooking show for french television and went right up to pre-production and then um, they, they freaked out that it was a little bit too much at the time and now you know uh, drag on te- in french television is everywhere yeah, yeah. Well. so we were maybe a little bit too pioneer
0: <laughs> I watched a wonderful series on Netflix recently called Queen have you seen that? yes one? it's fabulous isn't it beautiful mm. that, that, that wonderful older actor um,
1: yes, you know, same thing, you know, he started in pubs
0: singing and uh, and now he's got a movie made about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. So getting back into restaurants, how how did that all start? Because you were um, at a venue called Slide for many years.
1: Yes, Slide for nearly 14 years, just before, once again, mixing my love of food and cabaret and entertainment. Uh, we, we started cabaret there Um with Maya Venuti and all the big names it was fabulous, and then I created El Circo, the show that went on for 14 years.
0: It's amazing, a long-running show. Amazing,
1: 146,000 people saw that show. Wow, we counted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, like a, a, a variety or vaudeville. Or it Vulesque? was circus. circus
1: yeah, yeah, circus, like a seven-course degustation dinner, all seemed, and seven circus act with a host, I created the show for Verushka actually. And uh, and all was linked. The food and the numbers were linked together. It was quite a quite a show, extraordinary show. It gave work to so many um artists, um, you know, circus artists and magicians and
0: did you have an aerial act? Because it's quite lots, a quite a high ceiling. Lots,
1: uh, we yeah. did we did, you know, silks and uh, trapeze and lira and ropes and every area like act you can imagine because of the heights of the city
0: yeah mm-hmm. do you get to revisit claire very often nowadays
1: uh now okay is a little bit lazy yeah she's got a name at the front of the restaurant and the name is in light and now i do all the work yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but she comes in um, on regular basis at the restaurant that are doing mardi gras of course and bastille day and halloween and. Melbourne cap, and this year even New Year's Eve. So she comes out time to time, wow. by demand.
0: Okay. <laughs> so after that 14 years with El Cerco, what was it? Was this a restaurant here, this building where no, Claire's Kitchen is? No, it was not. It was a hairdressing
1: salon, hence the name Claire's Kitchen at Le Salon. Lots of people always ask me why is it called Claire's Kitchen at Le Salon? Well first, play on word, because it was in the s- hairdressing salon, and the salon in French means um, the boudoir, you know. So um, it was a little bit of a play on word. No, it was a hairdressing salon, and Sly took it over, and op- uh, I-, I helped them sort of with decor and concept and everything, and they opened an American-style bar, but unfortunately it didn't, didn't work. So after six months, I said, do you want it? what would you do with it? I said well let's do a French restaurant and here we are okay. 11 years later.
0: Did it take long to to take off? Uh, to
1: take it always t- you know you when you open something like that you always need to give yourself at least a year or two to of really build. Yeah. But because I did it with the strengths of, of uh, slide you know the clientele of slide and you know, all the people that knew of Claire that's why I use Claire de Lune, actually. It was uh, <laughs> the name, not my name. Nobody knows me, so I use Claire's name. We were very lucky that uh, we did very well from the beginning.
0: Yes, um, obviously, a lot of work transforming a, a hair salon into this glorious venue mm. that it is now. It was, it was. I spent
1: hours and hours online buying furniture from all over the world. And so, you, you oversaw all of that, everything. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. oh, that's wonderful. so um being doing drag again i just want to get back to claire it must be exhausting also i mean because it's very much late night shift work isn't it it
1: it used to be yes not anymore because i create my own work so i do the (laughs) early but at the time you know like uh, we were performing often you know up to three o'clock in the morning yeah i think that you need to be younger to do that sort of work you know it, uh, it takes a lot. And also the, the environment is never really that healthy, you know, especially at the time where I, when I was doing it, it was still smoking in venues and alcohol and all of that. So I think I I stopped that sort of the side of the entertainment at the right time. You know what I mean? I created once again something for me that is more suitable. Yeah. For you, an older person.
0: <laughs> You're still working long hours though, aren't you? Oh yes, I, yeah.
1: I, I've never... Mm, work has never been a problem for me. I love working.
0: Oh, yeah. time, what time do you start?
1: Well, I start at 9.30 in the morning right, yeah. and I do um, a few hours in the kitchen uh, until about 3, 3 p.m. I do my preparation, so um, I, there is still some dishes at the restaurant that I like to do myself, you know, the parfait, the souffle, all of this that sort of thing. And then the kitchen team takes over, yeah. And I move to the dining room and do the setting, organize the cabaret, do
0: marketing, and then do the service. Now, all of your staff here, um, they would appear to be be French. Now, are they, or are they just good actors?
1: They are good (laughs) actors now. They were when we first opened, because once again, we were a a business next to Slide that was still going at the time. So I wanted to be something very different from Slide. So we, this is why the, the menu is very traditional, the wine list is only French, the staff were all, all French. But unfortunately with COVID, um, all the um, students and all the backpackers stopped stop coming to Australia. So we were left with very, very few options. So now a lot of my staff is from South America So I say, as long as you get an accent, you can work here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It makes it a very unique experience. It's wonderful. A lot of theater people are superstitious. Uh, is is there superstitions in the um, hospitality business? Uh, Well,
1: I am quite superstitious. (laughs) I have a lot of um, little things that I do before shows and, you know, before... Even when I do Claire, like I have a little ritual, then I do, I listen to a song which is has well, it's been, it's been a song very important in my career because I always finish my show with that song, What Makes a Man a Man by Charles Aznavour. Yeah. So I always listen to it when I get ready and finish my show with it. So it's kind of like a, a little ritual, yeah. In the restaurant business, I don't know if we have time to have <laughs> to have rituals, yeah. However, restaurant business, as you mentioned earlier, is is a fine oil machine. So we have, you know, people have certain tasks that they do at certain time of the of the day. The staff know what to do, so it's a routine more than superstition. But it's a routine that we follow every day. So everything seems really um, easy, and uh, but it's actually a lot of routine involved.
0: And what time would you be able to switch off the light and leave? Uh,
1: I leave I'm i the first one to leave now right. because I'm the first, often the first one to arrive at the restaurant. So as soon as the service is finished or the cabaret is finished, I go and I let them do the closing. But uh, I go around 10.30, 11. Oh, they can be here until 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah.
0: It's a big investment of time and energy. In a, it in is. A it is. That? It's yeah.
1: a lifestyle, really. Like uh, there is no other way to describe it. You cannot do that as a hobby. It, you, it, it is your life. The restaurant is your life. Today is Monday. It's my day off. I just finished the laundry for all the staff, and I am coming here to do some ordering. So there is always something to it do. It doesn't sound like yeah. a day off. It is not a <laughs> day off, but at least I'm not dealing with customers today. Yeah, 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 yeah. you're having a spell. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So. Um, Any thoughts of of going further afield and and having a Claire's Kitchen in other states? Uh,
1: We've been asked many times to start businesses. Unfortunately, our business is very personal. And my business partner is Valentin. You met him before. And uh, he started the first day we opened. He was supposed to be the dishwasher in the restaurant. And we were short of waiters, so I just say, you're good-looking, you move in the dining room, and you be a waiter. Couldn't speak English, didn't. And now he owns half of Claire's Kitchen. Wow. So, you know, it's been uh, that sort of relationship. So... um, I'm sorry. What was the question again? I oh, always oh, go <laughs> <laughs> moving further afield to oh, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, taking yeah, yeah, Claire's because yeah. you know it yeah. would be great people in Melbourne could enjoy yeah, this, this very unique experience. But
0: I suppose but because also, it, it's a Sydney thing.
1: It is also, and it is a very personal business, and there is only one of me, so I couldn't be at two, pl- at two places at the same time. Yeah, it is very personal. People expect to see Valentine and I in the restaurant. They expect us to be here. So it's a little bit hard to open. We we were going to open something this year and then decided against it, another little business in Sydney, just because I needed to be more creative. I just needed to create something. And we changed our mind. But, you know, maybe, maybe doing some... uh, I don't know. I can say no, but I also feel that um, uh, it could be in the detriment of what we're doing here
0: you've got world pride coming up that's going to be big a big, big celebration. big big it?
1: big yes we have an amazing um cabaret program um, i work um, very closely with miss Beth Kennedy who's been an amazing asset to our to our cabaret she creates she curates all the um, our program organize all she knows everybody yeah she's yeah. amazing yeah. so She, she, you know, that's why we we get such high standard of cabaret performers, because she knows everyone. She worked with everyone. And we have created two weeks of uh, shows every night of the week. And the last two days of uh, World Pride, the 4th and the 5th of March, we're also putting the restaurant on the footpath. So uh, from 10 a.m. in the morning to 10 a.m. at night, we will have, another Claire's Kitchen at the front with a little stage, of course, and some of our Wonderful. favorite performers entertaining the crowd. They're expecting for those two days up to 50,000 people in Oxford Street. It's going to be quite extraordinary.
0: A big street party, isn't it? Yes.
1: Or? The yeah. street is closed from Taylor Square to Whitlam Square, yeah. and including Crown Street and Raleigh Street. So it's going to be, it's called Pride Village.
0: Mm. that will be huge
1: it's going to be gigantic uh, actually straight after the interview I'm going to put our we are to apply for an extra license so I'm going to go and do all the paperwork for that <laughs>
0: um, can you talk about who might be performing at, at Claire's during that time
1: we have an extraordinary uh, 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 program and I've tried with Miss Bev to be very inclusive and we have um, people like James Lee uh, Mini Cooper, drag performer, uh, Mark Trevorrow, and, uh, and uh, uh, Rupert Knopf. We have uh, Jonathan Welsh, you know, uh, the choir our of Hard Knocks. Shona Johnson, of course, is our diva. Jonathan Mills. We have uh, uh, Doreen Manganini, who is a drag performer, also a First Nation person, yeah. who has helped me to create the whole look for the festival by doing a painting that is called Um, We travel different paths to celebrate. It's a beautiful Aboriginal artwork that I use everywhere. We have um, Ned Job, Marnie McQueen, another First Nation performer, friend, Big Mama Little, Samantha Leith, Adam Rennie, who is a fabulous um, non-binary performer. We have a um, trans woman, JJ Ferrari, who is doing something quite interesting. It's going to be a a talk about a uh, experience transitioning, but with a pianist, actually Miss Bave, and Del Burridge singing uh, at the back of it. So really interesting. And to finish, we have the Campus Act in town, the Carpenters from Camp C, performing <laughs> with Darren Meigs and Deborah Chrisak. So big program, big program. That's
0: wonderful, wonderful. And of course, listeners can access... Uh, more information on your website. On the website. Go which to the
1: website. Which yeah. is... Um, clairskitchen.com.au
0: Fantastic. And all through December, of course, you have a lot of Christmas-themed
1: entertainments. Yes, yes, yes. Um. Unfortunately, all booked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's <laughs> wonderful. Only you know. a couple of seats left for show now on, Christmas, uh, on the 22nd. But uh, um, all our show have done very, very well this year. Very
0: well. Oh, well, congratulations. And, and thank you for having this wonderful room available to us all in Sydney. And if you're coming to Sydney, it's a must on your to-do list, I think, at, uh, at Claire's Kitchen for a magnificent meal and, and fabulous entertainment. Um, and thank you, Mark, for um, talking to Stages about your, your wonderful life and um, what you do in making us all so happy and well-fed. Oh, thank you, Peter, for your time.